Welcome to the first episode of the special series New BC, hosted by Freddie, an analyst at Isma Capital, and Linda, an associate at Karma Ventures. Today, we have Martin Craig with us. Martin is a partner, I think we can say it now, at BuyFounders, a seed fund looking to back the best tech founders in the new Nordics. We spoke to Martin to hear how he rose to partner in four years, the firm culture and coaching that encouraged him to do so, and of course, his own secret source of excellence. Martin, thank you so much for being on the show. We're super excited to have you with us. Please introduce yourself. Who are you? Why are you here? What's your superpower? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. And uh, so, so my name is Martin. I'm an investor at the at an early stage fund called By Founders. We are investing in and focused in the what we call the new Nordics, which is like the the Nordics on politics in our mind. And we're a sector agnostic fund, mainly do software investing. But we have what we call an impact mandate as well, meaning we are able to also invest in a bit more frontier tech stuff that is uh, shaping the world around us. So that can be like health tech and climate tech and biotech, tech bio, whatever you want to call it. So a bit of both atoms and bits on the on the fun side. And I think what makes Bifounders stand out a bit is is the whole community aspect of, of building the fund that we have done. So we have what we call a collective of founders from most of the, of the region's unicorns. So that's like Clio, Kahoot, Sendesk, Pipedrive, Public, etc. Plus a ton of operators from like US companies like Uber, Com, uh, DeepMind, Airbnb, and all of these people have gathered in the fund and have convinced them to also invest in the fund on fairly good terms, meaning they don't pay any fees, they don't pay any carry to the fund. And in exchange for that very good deal, they have agreed to also help our portfolio companies when we invest and also help us as investors when we look at, at portfolio company or potential investments. So I think we have succeeded in creating some sort of incentive alignment around a broader community of people. And when we started the fund like five years ago, there was a large gap in the market, at least in Denmark, where we are, we are based and, and also in, in a lot of the rest of the Nordics and Baltics. And there was a large gap in, in the market for like founder-focused venture funds that also had a global like both network and global outlook. So I think we were one of the first funds to actually, you know, being raised by former entrepreneurs and former founders with a heavy, heavy focus on, on operators and community. I know many funds nowadays have like some sort of operator network or collective or whatever you want to call it. But I think we were one of the first, at least in our region, to like formalize it to an extent we did and, and trying to align a center all the way around. So so that's something we have, we're pretty proud of having been able, able to accomplish. And uh, yeah, we're now investing out of our second fund of 110 million euros. Personally, I joined also close to five years ago, four or five years ago. Before joining, I was both a founder and an operator, and in both cases in bootstrap companies. So, so not an adventure-backed uh, startup. And prior to that, I spent four or five years as a professional poker player. Bit of my background there, but I joined us, uh, yeah, 2018, I think it was, as one of the first employers, employees. And then we were in the middle of fundraising for Fund One then with two founding partners who had not any background in VC. They were like founders and to an extent, angel investors, but no VC experience. So it was kind of a startup when I joined and we had like, you know, balls dropping left and right and needing someone to pick it up and and run with it. And that was my like first role there. So, uh, so the founders, the founding partners knew what, what they wanted to do, but maybe less of an idea how to, to get there. So that's, 
that's what I helped with. I didn't have any background in VC either, but 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 from tech at least. So so I was a quick learner and helped formalize a lot of the the processes and you know around the whole setup as a as a first time fund. So yeah, that's it. And then I've been there for for four or five years, having led eight or nine investments and sit on boards on on a handful of companies. And so yeah, that's me. You've sneaked around the superpower question very skillfully, oh, yeah. Martin. Yes, that was also a very top question, a very extensive list of of things I I could either be or wanting wanting to be or having a skill set up. But I I think maybe two two things stood out is uh, on the complexity busting side, which is I think of as a bit of a like signal to noise understanding. I think that's very very useful in VC. You you know we get a ton of information. We there's a, all things going on. You need to be able to to dive into the core and understand that fairly quickly. And the other one is around the decisiveness. I think also as VCs, you need to be decisive. You need to be able to form decisions based on incomplete information. And you need to have a mentality of, you know, leaning in when you're 60, 70, 80% sure of something and just like go with it and, and, and make a decision, right? So you don't have the luxury of getting to 100% full information and knowledge and et cetera. So, so those were two that stood out at least. I think it's pretty rare that at the pre CNC, do you ever get to that sort of hundred percent on, on every single topic, right? But we have a number of questions we want to jump into, but there was one that sort of stood out from your intro that I'd love to know, which was you, you at Five Finders had this amazing collective. How have you leveraged them for your own benefit and your own learning as you sort of have been at the early years, especially? Mm. I think we have, you know, leverage them in all sorts of ways. First and foremost, if they are like operators and founders, so they have been through the hoops, right? And they have, you know, taken the journey. Some of them are like one or two stages ahead and some of them are like unicorn founders, right? So so they have seen the whole spectrum of, of what it is to start a company from scratch and they can help, you know, us when looking at companies, but even more so they are helping our companies and that we have invested in. Um, sure, but sorry, I was, I was sort of meaning as, you know, as Martin, the analyst or Martin, the associate, how did you personally? We used to, I used them to understand spaces and sectors that I was not, you know, that sort of deep into. And I, I used them for understanding what does great look like. I think that's one of the first yeah. things that you're trying to calibrate towards when you're new in VC. You can easily get carried away, but great ideas and great people you meet, but eventually you need to like decide on a very small subset of people and companies you can invest in and calibrating towards what is not just good, but actually great. It's, it's something that's very hard to do. And you, it's, it's almost basically like a numbers game that you need to see enough good people to understand like, okay, this was number hundred I saw. And this, this founder is actually like, not just good, but great. Right. So, so. They helped me calibrate towards that because it's easy to put like, you know, them up and say like they were, and also actually the other way around, you know, you can also have like a ton of questions like, is this really a founder who can go all the way? Right. And then you can calibrate towards some of the unicorn founders. And can, you, when you talk to them, they are very open about all the mistakes they've made and very open about what they don't understand and what they're not good at. So it also gives you an image that you, you, you don't need the founder you are wanting to invest in or looking to invest in to have the full package. It's okay to have blind spots and you can still, you know, go for. You've um, touched upon the fact that when you joined by founders, it was very fresh as a fund and you were very fresh as an investor. And now, you know, four or five years has gone by. So maybe the first question being, 
how has your role changed over time? And 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 you've done an incredible quick progression through the ranks in in bivalents as well. So. Are you just superhuman and able to learn super quickly what the rest of us are trying to do in what's 15 years? So what's the secret in that? I think I have the the, the luxury of having joined a very, very uh, nice team where there is not really a, a hierarchy when, when I joined. It was really, you know, what you were able to pick up and run with, you had the opportunity to do so. We have built the team and the firm around the sentiment of letting the best ideas win uh, and a very proactive culture. So if you join buying founders and are a self-starter and have a great idea and ability to execute on it, there's no one who's going to, you know, tell you not to. So I took that upon me very early because, you know, as, as, as one of the first employees, there was all sorts of stuff dropping into my lap and something I also had to pick up myself. I took that upon me and was very heavily involved in, in doing like both the strategic direction early on and the portfolio construction and our investment strategy and processes and all that sort of things. So I think like I, maybe my responsibility has, you know, I, I've, I've taken them on for myself, but also they have increased incrementally over the years. So it's, it's kind of just feel naturally to, to, you know, you know gra- gradually move into this role, right? Maybe the core, core kind of skills of what do you think kind of likely to that? Is that quick learning? You kind of talked about that earlier. Is it adaptability? Is it... Yeah. What is it that you think has been incremental in that? I think curiosity and the ability to learn quick and the, and the willingness to do so. So as I said, no one was a, a trained VC at the firm. So, so, you know, we had to pick up pieces from our network. We had to like read a lot and listening to podcasts, blogs, books, all sorts of like starting the whole history and the industry, right? And then getting up to speed and then combine that with, with the willingness to willingness to take initiative and, you know, a setup where it's actually, you know, we recommended that you take initiative. And, and I think, you know, if you have the, the willingness and the, the able ability to do it, then you can, you can, you can move pretty, pretty far with uh, at by founders at least. By founders is almost a startup in itself, you know, a five, six year old start and the sort of, they touch on the sort of the learnings that all these sort of founders in your collective have, you know, course though, you know mistakes on the way, but what are the sort of those big learnings of being part of a core founding team in, in, in a VC that you've picked up over the last five years? I think we have made some mistakes in not, you know, we, we had a ethos of, of, you know, testing stuff out and trying a lot of stuff, but in the, and that way you can also end up, you know, being spread too thin and not having the core focus of this is what we actually do. This is what we want to be extremely good at. And then we want to be like, okay and other stuff and then there are some stuff we do not want to touch on at all right so you can easily and, and, and i think that maybe it goes throughout venture you can you know always spend more time on almost anything and whether that's investments or vertical thesis or events and networking and there's like ample opportunities to fill your calendars with all sorts of, of things right so so getting to the focus and being like this is what we do this is our core and this is what we don't do, I think we took some time to get there, but uh, increasingly getting better at it, at least. At least I hope to. I think that's a really good point, though, on, on finding out where you need to be spending your time. You know, as an analyst and associate, you, you could book up every night of your week with some kind of event or drinks or, you know, one of your key superpowers is being decisive. So how are you decisive in, in, in what you choose to focus and spend your time in? It's, it's, I don't know how I'm, like, explicit about it, but I think to me, it comes 
sort of naturally. And I think you can get caught up in the whole networking setup. And and we have people at our fund who are extremely good at that. And I use that as their main source of, of investment opportunities and startups. And then we have other people who are, who are good at, at, at being more proactive and, and diving into to verticals, et cetera. So for me, I, I've been more on the latter side, I think, and being more proactive and, and you know, hearing uh, around companies and who's out there rather than, than, than doing VC calls back to back. But I think it's very much up to like, you know, there are, it's, it's not like a, a winning recipe one or the other. I think there are, there are good opportunities in, in, in both ways of working. I try to focus very much on, you know, also the boards that I am on and then the companies that I work with, they come, they come first and I tend to spend a lot of time with them and then naturally means that, you know, I have a thick set of hours I could use on, on, on the networking and events, et cetera. So it's always a trade-off and I'm not, you know, claiming that I can, you know, always make the right choices there, but uh, I try to think of it as, as at least we have a finite amount of time, and, you know, bigger, bigger impact on, on some stuff and less impact on other stuff. How would you define the role of a, of, of a partner now kind of going through the whole, the, the ranks differently. So, you know, did you realize that you were ready for a partnership role? And then there was like a specific, you know, if you do this, you become one. Was it more of a progression where it was kind of agreed with the current partners that, hey, it seems like now you're ready to take the leap. So how, like yourself, how did you realize that? How did the, the kind of the partnership realize it? And then and, and what did you learn now looking back? What could have you done differently? Or what is there to, to kind of, Give us advice to others. So I think, at least for me personally, it has sort of felt like a partnership for many years, given the the, the responsibilities and, and you know the the tasks that I have taken on me and, and being being you know getting from from, from the team. So with us, it, it we don't have that formal structure. You know, there is a partner that needs to you know be on the second call with a founder, et cetera. It's very, very fluid with us. And we have actually, you know, young people who could come in and actually need deals. And when we, when you're able to do that, you also get a shorter time to prove yourself. And that's, that's a benefit with by founders, I think, and a benefit that I have enjoyed. So, so having been able to, to lead some good investments and, and being a good partner to the, the, the founders that we have invested in have, has, you know, moved the needle, I think, but it's something that have happened like incrementally, I think with us and, and we have had a discussion back and forth for a long time that this is the, the direction, uh, uh, it was going in. And now afterwards, we have actually been more formal about building out here, a whole like career development plan at by founders from like analysts to associates, investment managers, principals, and. This is what your responsibilities look like. This is how, how long we expect you to be in this role. This is what you need to do to progress to the next one, et cetera. So that was not definitely not something we had when I joined. So it was very much like, I don't know, choose your own title and work on whatever we have, you know, that sort of thing. But now we have been way, way more formalized and structured around building the team. And I think super helpful for the people coming in after, after me, at least, uh, now they have like line of sight of what it means to, to work at Bifanas, what does it mean to work in this role and what are more like midterm and long-term objectives and, and aspirations here. So, so you have clearly defined roles now, something you didn't have back when you started. And so that helps all your new hires who come in and join. How are you thinking about, you know, it, it will be a very, their, their experience at Bifanas will be very different to yours. Mm. How are you thinking about your, how you deliver your training to them? 
we are very explicit about, you know, first when they come in, one of the first thing we do if they are new to the industry is like dip them down and, and trying to align on both like their short and midterm aspirations, but also what does it mean to be a VC? What does it mean to be in, in venture? And what are some of the, the mindset that you need to adopt to actually get into that, into that mindset for, for, for an entry level hire that is new to the industry? So we try to pull forward the, the learning curves by calibrate the thinking around this like outlier nature of, of venture, because it's easier when you're, I think from the outside, venture can look quite a bit different to what it is on the inside. And that's always nice to like calibrate people when, when they come in and help them a lot. And I think that's, that's something we have, we have worked quite hard on to be better at and something that helps our, our, our new highs and very, very much. Um, so it's everything from like, yeah, thinking about the outlier nature, think, touching on the math behind the venture model and the portfolio construction, what, what are the companies that we're looking for? How, how should they actually progress over a short period of time to be able to be these outlier nature companies that we invest in? And that's very different from, from when you look at maybe when you look at the, the industry from the outside, you're, you come in and you just want to like invest in startups and, and we go after a very narrow subset of these startups. So calibrating new hires to that is, is, is something very important for us. And after that, we have, you know, we are very, you know, we do like weekly one-on-one, we two or three times a year, we are having performance reviews and, and, you know, trying to understand where they want to go in the future. And we have examples of, of, of joiners who would like to go to a portfolio company in, in one, two years from after the joining, we try to already map that possibility out for them early on and trying to figure out where they're strongest and where they can help out portfolio companies, where they have their interest. And some are very adamant that they want to be like in venture for 10 years and, and even further. And, that, and, and then we try to, you know, to, to see how we can make that happen and, and, you know, put them on that trajectory. But I think it's very much like setting the expectations and understanding each other's like long-term aspirations is very helpful. So just being transparent around it is, is something that helps a lot. And, and one of our core values that Barcelona is both in terms of internally and externally. So yeah, that's something we, we spend quite a bit of time on. Maybe a bit more of a philosoph- kind of philosophy-related question. I don't know if you'll have an answer to this. Oh, no. I think many VCs struggle to kind of promote people and have this good pipeline of people coming up to firms and those few then have succeeded in that. And your experience of working with other firms and, 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 and seeing how the other people in the industry, why do you think that is? What are the kind of core things in the VC industry that, you know, is, is it the wrong hiring? Are we targeting the wrong people? Is it that the, the VC industry as a whole has some strategical disadvantages of promotion? Is it that, you know, we're not allocating enough time of it? What is, what is your take on it? I think there are numerous reasons for it. One is, of course, like on actually, you know, generational shifts in VCs and uh, in, in and you're giving up a piece of the pie that you have earned uh, or you, you, you feel entitled to, or maybe you are entitled to it, right? So, so, so that's at least like a high level incentive structured thing. And then there's uh, another aspect of, of, I think, VC for... I mean, maybe not now, but at least earlier, kind of a cottage industry with, you know, a very top-down approach, very, you know, few folks and 
that's all you needed. Now it's been a, becoming way more professionalized. So you have like whole teams and you, you kind of need that career progression to be able to get the best people and having the best people to stay because otherwise they're, they, they kind of be, you know, outdoor fairly quickly. And then you have to start over. And, you know, as a fund who actually want to build like not just a fund, but a firm, you, we also spend a ton of time with, with people and the culture and, and that sort of thing. So you definitely need to be able to give new hires a line of sight of what can my future at this fund look like in two, three, maybe seven, 10 years. I'm not saying everyone who joins will be on the partner track, but it's definitely a possibility at Bifarna to, 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 to come on, on the partner track as a, as a new joiner if you're, if you're putting in the work and you're good at what you do. Yeah, it's almost like you, you, you still need to be an outlier within Bifarnas. You still got to be the best and buy plans to make it to the top. So sticking on that theme of, of, of you know, new joiners, what do you hope your analysts and associates come to you with? You know, what, what, would you, what would you advise those young professionals in the industry to come to the partnership and, and ask around progression? That's a good question. I don't think I want them to come and ask anything. I think they, we try to be very, you know, as I said, transparent, right? What, what do people want and what do they want to achieve? I think we also transparent and as you said, we want to see outlier performance. That doesn't mean you need to like make all the right investments and never do a wrong one. Uh, definitely not maybe even the, the contrary, but we need, you know, some sort of, some sort of evidence of you thinking outside the box and not being like one in a hundred, uh, you know, one of many, but being one of a hundred instead. And I think we apply the same logic to the investments we, we make to the, to the people that we hire and keep it. So, but yeah, I'm very proud of the team so far. So I think we're doing something right. Obviously, you have a great plethora of people at Five Founders. You know, people have been progressing in, in, in different roles across the board and, and obviously yourself to partnership. But ultimately, I think the responsibility still relies on, on, on the partners. So do you think it's up to the youngsters to, to, to really make enough of an effort to get that trust? from the partners to make these decisions on, on investments? Or is it ultimately still on the partners to kind of guide and be the final kind of, you know, gate to get through? So, yeah. so, so how do you, and how does that transfer over time? Yeah, so we have a framework of, of, at least when it comes to investment decision, to have, you know, at least a partner being positive, being a yes. It doesn't mean that it needs to be a strong yes, but we need then we need a strong yes from somewhere else in the team, right? And that can be from, from one of the, the, the other team members, an investment manager or a, an associate. So that's essentially the framework. We can, we can definitely make an investment happen if there are like two or three partners that are against, but one partner that is for. So, so we try to, to not, you know, cultivating a, a consensus investment decision. So, and I think we, I mean, some of our, you know, best performing companies, I think we were the most, you know, disagreed on. And I think that's, that's very common. And. Um, so for us, it can, it can be like also, uh, you know, uh, associates and, and IMs taking, taking a deal from, from start to almost to finish. Sometimes we also, you know, throw people out on the deep water and, and having them trying to negotiate terms and, and, and being like the, fr the front there. And, and then we in the partnership support as much as we can, but having other people lead and, and, and learning, learning by that. I think we are actually like cultivating the, 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 the rate of learning and making the rate of learning of the, very faster by, by doing that. And, and also we, then we get to see actually who has it in them to go for in, in BC if that's what they want to do. Let's talk mistakes. 
what are those common mistakes? What do you see as, as the avoidable mistakes that, that the, jun- the junior team traditionally make? I think one that I definitely made myself is, and, and one that I see again and again, is that that I touched upon f- before with, you know, not fairly, not fully being, understand what great actually is, but being overly, you know, optimistic, not mi- optimistic is not the right word, but, you know, being like, when you join a fund, you, 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 you want to make an investment, right? And you desperately look to make that investment and you maybe you, you find something and you kind of fit it into the box and, you know, it confirms all your thesis or works or whatever. And then you just, you just wanted to get it done. Right. And uh, so I think like the first one, two investments that especially when I made them and maybe that also other people make, or, you know, when you look back at them, like a few years after you may be like, I, I could probably have, you know, sat on my hands a bit and gotten up to speed and understanding the whole industry of, of not just venture, but also the, the, the startup industry, et cetera, a bit more and met more people and, you know, getting the flywheel going before being so pushy about uh, wiring the money. Just so I'm sort of understanding the takeaway from this point, it's, it's almost sort of being a little bit more patient and, and, and sort of less rushing into it. Yes, I, I think that's the takeaway. Obviously, we also have examples of the opposite where you have someone coming in and their first investment is just like sort of a home run and maybe that's luck, maybe the skill, we don't know. But I think in general, calibrating and getting up to like, yeah, cruising altitude before you make decisions is always a good, uh, a good idea. Do you think that having been a founder before gave you an advantage, maybe getting that, what does great look like faster? Obviously, you've kind of touched upon the other operators that you kind of work with as well. But, you know, Sifted has been releasing articles about, you know, we need more operators. We need more people from the industry becoming investors. So, you know, does that help? I don't think it helped me. And as I said, I, I was mainly in bootstrap startups. So there's like a far, you know, between um, running a small shop that is never meant to raise VC dollars, it's never meant to be an outlier, and then raising VC dollars and trying to build that massive company, uh, like a big step change between the, the two. So it did not help me. I think what helped me more was actually my past as a poker player, because that's fairly easily translatable to a lot of the decision-making you're making in, in, as an investor. But on the whole debate with, between founders and, and operators, et cetera, I think, they're like, I, I think it helps to have been in the shoes of, of starting something from scratch. You have empathy. I also think maybe you can, you know, over-index a bit on your own experience. So it's always good to, you know, it's ultimately it's the founder who is in the driving seat of the company. And that's always the case with us. We are not there to run your company, even though we have a lot of great people people great at running companies, but we're not, we're not there to do it. So, so we can give our perspective and we can like compare notes of what we have been through and what our, you know, people in the collective have been through, but ultimately it comes down to the, to the founder. But on a like mindset, mindset, I think it makes, it, it makes it easier to like empathize and, and just that, but maybe not that much in the day to day. I think it's uh, for, for the founder to forge their own journey and and if they are to build an outlier company, it's not like there is a recipe for building an outlier company, but rest than everyone were, would be able to do so, right? So they need to also do like contrarian things and, and forge new ground uh, uh, when, when building a, a new company. But do you think you do look at companies slightly differently because of your background or, yeah, 
I, obviously, I think at Biofunders you all have very similar backgrounds in the sense of some sort of operational experience in, in, in almost all of you, I think. But does it change the way that you approach it versus, I don't know, comparatively to maybe other investors that you've spoken to who maybe come from different backgrounds? I think we sometimes can be caught up in dreaming a lot with the founders uh, and, and we can like see the possibilities and be like, this is like an amazing idea. If I were the founder, I would do this and this. And then maybe even like to the extent that sometimes you dream up a company that is definitely not in the way of what the, what the founder wants to build, but it's, you have some image in your head of what this can be. And then we like sort of mismatch from the start there. So that's something we actually like tend to also like when people are pitching new companies to us or like, or like internally when associates and the IMs are pitching companies to us, we, we are like very aware of, is this like the founder's vision or is that, this is, you're talking on behalf of the founder and we have some mismatches there. So that, that's one thing at least we are aware of. I, w- I sort of want to ask the same question, but kind of a different way, which is people are getting into VC a lot younger. My Linda's, you know, experience before being in this world is, was, well, pretty short, especially in my case, because there's, you know, frankly, you've got a lot of time. Is there a benefit to, you know, taking yourself out of the VC world, going, getting that operational founder experience or, or even elsewhere? How do you think about diversifying your own experience to bring back into VC? That's a very good question, and it's something we are have been debating a lot, and that's why we also with the with new joiners are trying to actively push the idea of having them joining a portfolio company for maybe one year, two years, and then opening the door for them coming back at five hundreds. And I think that's extremely helpful, especially if you don't have any any other experiences outside of you know coming out of of your journey and maybe have done a few internships here and there. And I think some can do without, but I don't think it hurts uh, at all. I think that's uh, on the contrary. I think it, it provides a good, very good insight into how the startup looks from the inside. And even to the extent that some of us as investors who have, we have, you know, people who have went to portfolio companies and come back and they have, you know, way better insight into intricacies of how the founders are running the company that we have as outsiders, even though we are on the board maybe, but on the day-to-day stuff. So it's very, very helpful on that end. We touched on this point of being patient and building up an understanding of what great looks like. But for you, what, what do you think in terms of a young professional's career, what does success look like at each stage in, in, in VC journey? That's a very subjective question. I think, I think a lot of people can, you know, be caught up in taking the well-trodden path because that's what you're supposed to do, sort of. So you, you know, you have seen over the years people, the, the, the next hot sector is whether that was IP or consulting or startups or VC and whatever it is nowadays, I, I don't even know, but, but I think uh, there's a ton of mimetic desire around and, and I think people should actually just go into VC if they are really, really, really passionate about investing because it is not the same as, you know, building a company, for instance, right? You need that investing interest. You need to, you know, get a kick out of thinking about investing also. And of course you need to get a kick out also like thinking about technology and 
startups and tech software or whatever it is. But but it, you know, if you're if you're the type of person who wants to dive really really deep and just like understand every inch of every you know a particular niche, whatever, maybe you're better suited to be a founder. And as a VC, you need to live with that you're you know you have breadth over over depth maybe, but that you know like some stuff about some stuff, but you're definitely not the smartest in the room when you're talking to the founders. And so I think, you know, you know, calibrate for what you want to, you know, what sort of personality you have and that, and also what you want to achieve. I think going into VC early is definitely good if you want to maximize the rate of learning across industries. And then, you know, you can always transition out to, to start a company. I think that's a good way to do it. It's also a good way to go the other way, other direction of, of starting a company and then transitioning to VC. I think that way is actually harder for people because if you first have been in startups for a long time and, you know, being used to ship stuff and seeing your results the day after you have done something, that's not what you're getting in, in VC. You know, I mean, you have to wait half a decade or a decade or a decade plus to actually see if you're any good at, at, at what you're doing as a VC. So, so that's a very different mindset that you need to, to, to understand. And so pick, pick your path with that in mind, I think. So I'm good at the moment here in, at Bifunders. So Martin, looking back at your own journey now, having been, you know, years in VC and, and a lot of experience on your back, what advice would you give to yourself now uh, looking back or, or kind of to other entrepreneurs in similar positions, having seen what you have seen now? I would not give that many advice to entrepreneurs for uh, uh, being a VC. I think the number one advice is that you should understand, you know, you should have, just as you have like product market fit and you have, you know, company market fit, you also have company investor fit and you need to understand like, are you building for a unicorn outcome or are you building to build a great business that probably not need venture capital. I think there is a big discrepancy between a lot of the startups trying to raise venture capital that would be way better off doing something else. So that's, that's like just, that's one thing I always talk with founders of when they, when they're starting a company is just, you know, what are, what are your aspirations and where do you want to this company to be? And do you understand that if you go the adventure route, you need to build like a very, very large company and fairly short time span. And that's not something many people are able to do. On the, on the other question, and in terms of if I wanted to go back, I think I always had like an entrepreneurial drive, but at the moment I get that saturated uh, in building a fund and, uh, and a firm. And uh, we are still super early in our journey and we have a ton of things we want to do. So, uh, so I'm good at the moment here in, at Bifunders. So obviously, Martin, we've touched about it multiple times today already you have cracked some sort of a code when it comes to fast track in vc in both kind of successes and the road to partnership what do you think has been a surprisingly important skill in your day-to-day -day work that isn't necessarily obvious to to the rest of us in in in, in still in pure mortal positions in associates uh willingness to look stupid i think that's uh you need to be you know you need to I, I know it's a, like a meme these days, but you need to be somewhat contrarian and be you know, like also, you know, able to put your belief out there and just like act on it. And, and maybe you'll, you end up looking stupid and, uh, and maybe you don't, right? But, but, you know, take the lead and, 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 and put yourself out there. And I think that's, that's helpful. At least when you're in an environment where that is encouraged. You've been dropping, you know, advice forms throughout the podcast. What would be, you know, the final piece of advice you'd give to the new VC? 
I think if you really want to be a VC and you know you're you want to be in that long term, I think you always should study the history of of, of venture capital and just like from the get go, basically learn from the mistakes of others, but make sure to to make your own mistakes on the way as well. Learn best practices, but be willing to like diverge and break away from them also as a consequence of, of what I just said by you know willingness of looking stupid. So don't do as every other one is doing, but understand, you know, what is the best practices and why are they best practices and why would they not be in this exact case that you're, you know, in specifically. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of a, a Bill Gurley quote. I think it's something like good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So you, you sort of have to, you know, going back to looking stupid eventually, uh, that, that happens to all of us. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant note to, to end on and, and a piece of wisdom we can all take from this. So thank you very, very much uh, for joining us today and and everything that you bestowed upon us. So uh, fantastic. Thank you, Martin. Thanks a lot for having me. Super fun. Thank you for listening to this special episode on the European VC. If you love our show, join our community by subscribing at eu.vc.